welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. We explore witchcraft through many different lenses, including personal practices, tarot, astrology, ritual, and so much more. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And today we're here with our friend Kate. So we are talking to Kate Laurel today. Kate, can you guess, tell us where you're from? Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am originally from the Bay Area of California. I lived there most of my life, um, but my mom and grandparents and great-grandparents are from this area. Mm. And so after a long, winding road of traveling and exploring and learning, um, I returned here to be near my mom, my grandparents. And I love, I love this area. It feels like home. When did you get, I guess, to the Salem area? Well, I moved to Salem in August of 2018. Okay. But I moved back to Massachusetts in August 2017. Okay. So I'm relatively new here. But I feel like I've established myself fairly quickly in the community, so I'm grateful. So like Anna and myself, you are a tarot reader around town. I am. Um, and uh, why don't you tell us more about that and some of the other things that you've been doing. Sure. Um, I got into tarot when I was living in New Orleans. Um, you know, tarot is everywhere. People are set up in Jackson Square. And I just became fascinated with it and was really interested in exploring it as a part of my magical practice and it's interesting because it's not just a way to you know read people or situations I feel like it's also a way to kind of conceptualize and understand the archetypes of life mm-hmm. you know it really mm-hmm. kind of I you know I find myself in different major arcana archetypal moments in time, you know, and I can kind of relate to my life or situations in the world based on it. So it's really kind of a great way to uh, just to kind of understand life and make sense of this crazy world. So do you consider yourself a witch? I do. Yeah, I do. And it really was an interesting road to get to that place because I have always been interested in magic, but always thought the term witch was not for me. Maybe it was only for people who practice Wicca. You know, I always struggled to kind of define myself, and it wasn't until I started working at Housewitch and kind of started reorienting and reframing the term witch, and now it, it really speaks to me. It really works for me. So one of the discussions that we have, you know, with folks over and over on the podcast so far is what it means to be a witch, and everyone's definition has been very, very different. So I guess now the question for you is, you know, since you already talked about kind of struggling with the word and coming to terms with it, what does that mean to you to say that you're a witch? I think that a witch is someone who engages with the magical world, who identifies as being someone who is not just counterculture, but someone who is, you know, um, someone who fights for anti-oppressive causes and also someone who is a warrior for the planet. You know, the witchcraft is so rooted in the earthly elements and we can't just 
use these tools or use these energies without being sort of an inherent protector of these sacred elements and sacred tools and kind of engaging with them as allies as opposed to kind of like using and consuming these tools and these things and that's really kind of a crux of my practice and I consider myself an animist you know I see the aliveness I see the magic in all things and so naturally I want to be an advocate and uh, you know fight for the justice of the planet. When you say you consider yourself an animist, you know, like that would be like your religion that you, or do you have another way of looking at your religion? I wouldn't say it's my religion. I'd say that it's my magical framework. It's mm-hmm. kind of my spiritual orientation. It's, you know, I don't necessarily worship any particular deities or I don't necessarily, you know, anthropomorphize the ocean or, you know, the earth or elements. I rather engage directly with them in but see their aliveness as more than just being um, representative of their like personhood but more just their um, inherent spirit this is actually great because it's the first time that we've mentioned animism as a concept on the podcast so would you mind maybe sharing for those who are not familiar with the term how would you define animism oh that's a hard question but i'll try the way i see it is like I said before, you know, really being reverent and aware of the spirit and aliveness of all things. You know, for me, as an herbalist, I don't just, you know, work with the plants as just, you know, plants. I see them as having a spirit of having a consciousness. You know, I think it's um, important to, as as an animist to recognize the consciousness of crystals of the earth itself, you know, and just really engaging in a way that um, where you have a relationship with all of these, um, these elements. So animism is basically the, uh, you know, the belief that everything has its own sort of energetic vibration, Mm -hmm. its own spirit. Right. 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 um, Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely feel like everything has its own vibrational field and its own energy. So I'm glad that we're (laughs) discussing that. And since you mentioned being an herbalist, I guess we can tell folks that you have an herbalism business. I do. What's the name of your business? So my business is Laurel Tree Healing Arts and it's an herbalism business, but it's also kind of, um, a combination of all of the work that I do, which I guess could be under like the animist umbrella, right? Because Mm -hmm. I don't just make tea, but I also make um, vibrational essences of crystals and flowers. And I feel like if if one works with those energies, you kind of have to be an animist. You know, you have to be aware of the resonance and the aliveness of crystals and flowers, or else you wouldn't believe that it's possible for the energy to imprint onto the water in order to be taken internally and, like, cause any sort of effect, right? So I work... You know, I don't really see clients for traditional Western herbalism. I see clients for 
vibrational, energetic, and magical herbalism primarily. Okay, so we've talked about your tarot practice and your herbalism practice. You also have some other things that you do. I know that yes. you do Reiki mm-hmm. and you have a few other things. So yes. <laughs> you're very busy. Yes, I always say that I wear many pointy hats. Um, I do a lot of things. Um, it's kind of how I thrive in the world um, as a Gemini rising, as um, someone who's been diagnosed as a- with ADHD um, and kind of like reclaiming and um, sort of taking back that diagnosis as something that's empowering and something that actually can um, add to my magical practice, right, of just doing a lot, weaving a lot together. Um, so to answer your question, um, I also uh started something called the Psychic Support Group, which I'm really excited about. It's something that I just launched, and it's really just a place for people to gather together in the House Witch Healing Space um, to just get together with other people who are either people who either identify as psychic or who identify as being really sensitive and empathic and really are looking for like more tools and skills in order to manage that and just meet other people who identify similarly. So I haven't been to your your group yet. So what do you folks do at the group? Because you mentioned learning new tools. So you're sharing techniques and tips or... Yeah, so I try to really be more of like a facilitator, so I don't try to be in a really educational role, but I do like to bring some of that into it. I I mostly like to hold space for discussion, um, if people have questions, and also at the end I'll do some group Reiki, some singing, and it's really kind of unfolding organically. You know, I can't, I went into it with this idea of, sure, I can envision what it will be, but I really sense that it'll just become what it is. And that's really what's happening. So I guess I would ask for someone, you know, because we have a lot of folks who listen who are new to, you know, witchcraft and the metaphysical, and there's always that sort of, you know, fear of showing up to a new thing. And so I guess to folks who might be considering coming, like, what do you want them to know you know, and also there's always the question of if I don't know anything about this, can I still go? Yeah, definitely. I want it to be really accessible. I want it to be for anyone who feels psychically sensitive. For people, you know, it's really oriented towards folks who are doing care work, support work, you know, nurses, social workers, therapists, teachers, all those people come to the group because they feel like their lives would be really enriched if they had more psychic protection skills. And also for me, you know, even though I want to keep it really open-ended and have it become what it is, I do, of course, have my, you know, evil plans of, you know, bringing another layer into care and support work where we are bringing in the metaphysical, we are bringing in the psychic element for folks who are struggling, you know, because I was just speaking with the group last night about how, you know, therapists and people who are working with the public will often kind of like dredge up people's ghosts or people's energies that are not helpful, but then there's no element of like clearing that away or 
um, looking at it in a more kind of unseen or psychic realm and observing folks engaging with that world has been really powerful and I'm really excited about the potential. So to answer the question about like what people can expect, I think it's, you know, it's really unpretentious. No one is sort of like one-upping or kind of being more psychic than thou. Like everybody's really supportive. People are really good about just meeting people where they're at. People seem really comfortable with asking questions and no one seems, you know, afraid to just show up where they're at. And that's my goal. Yeah, I think that one of the things that intrigues me is that, you know, there is the idea you you talked about with therapists and stuff bringing things up. Um, There can be the fear talking to a therapist about telling them that you have, you know, psychic abilities or that you believe in astrology or tarot or anything like that. Because depending on your therapist, they can be like, oh, magical thinking, like, that's bad. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's, that's... you know, you have to be really careful when you're looking for a therapist, like, you know, how to even broach the subject to see if they're going to be okay with it. It's So, you know, having a space where it's, like, off the bat, like, no, this is specifically what we're talking about. Totally. <laughs> no, and I'm glad you brought that up because one thing that I am really clear about, um, especially when we're meeting with folks who struggle with boundaries and who are looking to increase their relationship with boundaries, is, like, I have to be really boundaried about my role and what the group is and you know right out the gate I'm like this is not a psychotherapy group I am not a psychotherapist you can feel free to share whatever you want but we are going to have ground rules we're going to assume that every person in the group is a trauma survivor who will be triggered if you talk about sensitive subjects let's always have a trigger warning when we bring these things up you know so like there's just a very safe container for people to share but also be very boundaried about kind of what my capacity is and what the role of the participants are and so like that feels really good and people who are in the group have expressed you know I can't talk about this stuff with anyone else and that's really what I'm seeking to transform is you know I I have a social worker who attends, you know, I have teachers who attend, I have, you know, people who work in these roles who are desperately looking to be able to bring more of this subject into the conversation with their clients and with their students. It's really interesting um, that there's this conversation about boundaries, but we're talking about boundaries sort of from person to person in the space. But one of the questions that I get asked a lot from people who are you know, struggling with psychic abilities or communication with spirits is boundaries with the spirit world. It's that idea of how can I control it and turn it on and off so that they're not, you know, talking to me all the time and interfering with my life. And so I'm wondering if you have any tips for listeners on maybe establishing a few boundaries for people who are just coming into this Mm. and just trying to figure out how to, you know, manage that in their lives so that they can, you know, be communicating with spirit when they want to as opposed to unwanted contact? Sure, that's a really good question and it's really important and I think it circles back to our conversation about animism because one of the ways I find plants and crystals to be so helpful for us with engaging with the spirit world is because they are literally the bridge. They're the connector between the planet, like our earthly planet, the physical three-dimensional realm, and the spirit world. And so... I find that turning to 
these allies is one of the best sort of first steps, right? And mm-hmm. that's why I rely heavily on flower essences. I rely on um, crystal essences, on crystal healing, because um, these allies have this inherent intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, some key plants and crystals like black tourmaline, like yarrow, St. John's wort, you know, that we can turn to who have this inherent intelligence of creating boundaries between us and the spirit world. And so it can kind of help to establish an energetic foundation and boundary. So then maybe we can become more aware of when that energy sort of bumping up against us and how we can uh, start to develop conscious communication. Yeah, I know from my own uh, life, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts, but in a much smaller town. And, you know, I started practicing witchcraft as a teenager. And then I moved to Boston to go to college. And I wasn't able to like go grocery shopping because like just all of like I all of the people around me and people are for some reason very angry in grocery stores, which I, I don't completely understand. But people are angry in grocery stores. Yes, they are. <laughs> Um, and I, I found like going grocery shopping, this like really hard experience because like all of, I could just feel all of this energy pushing into me. And I very quickly like threw up really like just walls so that I could exist in Boston and I could get through my life. And I was cut off from magic from years after that, because like I, without any specific training, without any, like I just, I threw up these walls and then, like, the process of tearing them back down in a deliberate way so that I was not overwhelmed at grocery stores, but that I could still, I could reconnect to that world. It's a big process. So yes. I think definitely if people are starting off and you're opening up that sort of thing to to really look for things like, you know, the plant and the crystal allies and to other things like that to, right. um, to build those boundaries to begin with because I did not and it really hurt me. Yes. No, and I think that's kind of part of a modern witch's initiation process, you know, and I think that especially people who identify as being empaths or psychically sensitive, it's like there's this extra layer of initiation because in my personal experience and belief system, many people who are empathic and sensitive actually had their boundaries taken from them through a trauma experience or, you know, some kind of experience that really kind of severed that natural boundary. And so through, you know, these learning experiences, like being in a grocery store and having to put up, you know, intense walls, or some people don't know how to put up walls. So they, you know, they turn to maybe substances or they turn to like a different coping skill. Um, to kind of protect themselves and then it's a process of sort of unlearning and healthfully developing these boundaries that make it kind of like this powerful almost superpower you know because you create your own healthy boundaries you had them taken away but then you get to bring them back Mm -hmm. and I think that's really powerful and I think it's really kind of my personal mission to empower people who have been very disempowered and are feeling naturally drawn towards supporting other disempowered people, right? It's kind of this this chain of healing, of supporting disempowered people to then become empowered, to support disempowered people to become empowered. And so we can just kind of heal um, a lot of wounds 
in, in a very kind of intentional way. Very chironic energy to, to heal the wound that you have yourself and other people. It's a powerful archetype that I relate to very strongly. And actually, Yarrow, which I mentioned, has a very powerful um, mythological connection to Chiron, but also with um, Achilles. Mm-hmm. There's the, it's the, the Latin name for Yarrow is Achillea millifolium. And it's related to the Achilles heel myth where Achilles was actually dipped by his mother into a bath of yarrow Mm -hmm. and the heel was missed in that bath. She was holding it. She was holding the heel (laughs) and then there's this bleeding wound, right? Right. And so it's very much a magical uh, origin story, but then we think about yarrow as a physical healing herb and it's very intelligent with the blood it can you know the base leaves of the yarrow plant can actually stop the bleeding of something as profound as a chainsaw wound you know so it's this herb that's so let's not try that yes no don't try it at home but it is a good thing to have in your first aid kit right right (laughs) to have in your physical and your psychic first aid kit because Yarrow can help with, like, bleeding out your energy, mm-hmm. right? Or, like, knitting together your energy. But so, please be careful with chainsaws. Yes. yes this podcast does not endorse chainsaws. No, I have, never actually, I have never actually picked up a chainsaw in my life. But Me either. I, but I have, you know, heard these stories. Um, but, yeah, so thinking about Chiron, thinking about these mythologies about wounding and uh, kind of empowerment that comes from wounding is, is really important. Yeah, Becca, I'm glad that you immediately went to Chiron because as Kate was telling us the story, I was thinking, it was like, oh, this is the wounded healer archetype. Mm-hmm. And that is an archetype that a lot of people that go into this type of work that we're all doing, that we all kind of live that, right? Wounds are a process of initiation, right? You become the wounded healer because your healing power comes from that wound. And there's, of course, the contradiction of, you know, being able to heal other people's wounds but not your own that we right. see in Chiron, and that's right. a well, of course, fun with, can of worms. But. With the myth of Chiron, the wound that he received would have killed anyone else because mm-hmm. it was hydro poison that he was shot with. But the fact that he was immortal meant that he survived. Mm-hmm. And he survived this unsurvivable wound so that he could pass on his healing knowledge to other people. So Right, right. but he was never able to unpoison right. himself. Right, right. But I think, unfortunately, what often happens with folks who resonate with this wound um, and the wounded healer archetype is that the self-healing and sort of the alchemy of healing your wound gets bypassed sometimes Mm -hmm. and folks will just go straight to I want to heal other people's wounds and one of my theories about this is that when we have a deep wound there's an energy that resonates that attracts that similar energy of others, right? And so we want to kind of gravitate towards that similar place. And I think it comes from a desire to heal it, but it's almost too close when it's yours. Um, And so that's where we get things like trauma bonding and like some of these unhealthy sort of like codependent dynamics. Mm -hmm. But if we can, as, you know, as witches and healers, encourage people that, doing that self-healing work is actually a really powerful tool of healing others and healing the world, then there could be a lot more effective, you know, empathy and compassion and, and healing that we can do. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a very common expression. I mean, my therapist has said it to me about, you know, put your own mask on first, 
like in a plane crash. Oh yeah, yeah. The oxygen. <laughs> like yeah. that, you know, you're you'll be able to do other people a lot more good mm-hmm. if you are not drowning. Sure. Like, but I think again, like it is nuanced though. We always have to look at the nuance because I think that some people, particularly people who have societal privilege and who are engaging in magic and, you know, kind of things that are woo, mostly, mm-hmm. you know, white women will kind of take that and not continue the trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. It'll just kind of become this very self-focused, heal thyself, kind of like insular bubble. Right. And then it won't go any further. And I've observed this and I've seen it on Instagram, you know, with all this talk about, you know, rest being really important. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, a lot of this is a lot of this language is being co-opted from women of color talking about how rest is revolutionary, right, for oppressed people. But those who, yes, have been wounded, but also have societal privilege, I think it's a it's actually not just a self care. I think it's a actually a social responsibility to do that healing and then to take it out mm-hmm. further and right. and and just continue that healing work because. If we are doing that self-healing and it does become kind of, if we want to use the metaphor of a superpower, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what is, what is it, Spider-Man who says that great power comes great responsibility, right. you know? And you can't heal yourself first without there being a second and a third and a fourth. Like, if you're just healing yourself, period, then you're just being selfish and narcissistic. Right, right. And, it, you know, there is this idea of Doing the self-healing is inherently healing to the world, but I think, again, I think that lacks nuance. Mm -hmm. I think that in some ways that's very true, but there needs to be more concrete steps. And that's why for me, you know, being the type of witch that I am, I consider myself very much like an earth witch. You know, I practice what I call earth magic. So it's like, okay, let's do this healing, but then let's find the practical earth-based ways to implement it. Uh, for healing and for social change. I think you've made some really important points about, you know, responsibility that we all have, right? As witches, as part of taking care of the planet, it means taking care of each other. Yes. And so it's definitely good to remind folks to pass it forward, pay it forward. (laughs) I'm going to circle back a little bit when we were talking about sort of, you know, setting up boundaries and using, you know, plant allies and crystal allies when you're starting to delve into the metaphysical. And I was just wondering, because, you know, you make your own essences. Do you have any of your own that are made for that purpose to help you kind of set up psychic boundaries? Well, I'm excited that you asked me that because I believe next week, um, depending on printing, etc., uh, I'm going to have a new essence uh, oh. called Energetic Cleanse. And it's a little bit different than some products that are out there. Like I absolutely love um, Dory Midnight's Boundaries in a Bottle that yes. we sell at Housewitch. Um you know, Holy Smoke by Lighthouse Magic is so wonderful. And I'm noticing that a lot of these products are geared towards protection, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is essential. But it's not necessarily focused on um, what to do when you actually have other people's energy, like either attached to you or in you already, mm-hmm. right? right? So, so it's cleansing, al- yeah. Right. So it's almost like this idea of, you know, burning cleansing plants um, or, you know, taking a sea salt bath, but something that you can take internally. So that's the goal. I think that's a really important point about um, you don't want to put up boundaries if you have things that are stuck to you 
because then you're trapping them. Oh, that's a good point. That, you know, you really do want to clean before you put the walls up. Right. That you don't, you don't want, you don't want that bad vibes that you've got going on, like stuck inside your little bubble with you. Right. That's, (laughs) that's a good point. Well, one thing that I learned early from this cool education program I did in college called Expect Respect. It was for high school students to talk about healthy relationships and domestic violence prevention. And they actually talked about the concept of boundaries and how boundaries actually aren't walls. They're more like a filter Mm -hmm. where you kind of get to control like what goes in and out. So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in sort of that healthy, sort of like selectively permeable kind of barrier. Um, But yeah, I think that when we don't necessarily have boundaries that are always up or are functional all the time, um, we do, yeah, like you said, we get stuff kind of stuck in us or we have these cords or, you know, and just kind of this constant process of sort of like flushing out and cleansing our energy is, is very helpful because then we can become more aware of what is actually us. I think that that's kind of or for me, that was one of the most, you know, daunting aha moments that I had when I was just like, oh my God, I feel like 80% of what I feel isn't me. Mm-hmm. But it cycled through my consciousness as me. So I'd sense someone's insecurity. I'd sense someone's anger. I'd sense someone's who knows what. And I would feel it about myself. I would feel bad about myself. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't about me. This is about someone else, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was almost a process of, like, rebuilding my identity based on being aware of being in this body and being in this consciousness. And it was wild. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point that for... For those of us who are, you know, open, whether you call yourself an empath or just as witches, most of us are dealing with some sort of ex- external energies to be able to know what is what is yourself and what is external. You, know, you really need to know that. And it can be very difficult. It is. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because you describe yourself on Instagram, and by the way, you folks can follow her at Laurel Tree Healing Arts on Instagram. You describe yourself as a singing sound healer. And I want to know what that means, because that sounds amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's something that I'm still trying to figure out what it means. (laughs) Um, It's something that's kind of new to me in the sense of the singing being a part of my healing practice. Um, I've always been a singer. I've always loved, you know, singing. I've been trained, you know, by teachers. I did musical theater. I've been in bands. I write music. But I never thought of it as something I could use in my healing practice until a few years ago, I started just having, like, involuntary sounds just come out of my mouth. Like, I had no idea where they were coming from. It was so weird. And then... I started leading moon circles at Housewitch and I would be, you know, giving Reiki at the end to people. And then all of a sudden I felt this overwhelming desire to sing and it was scary to me. I was like, why am I doing this? I don't know why I'm doing this. And I would sing and I realized that it started to sound like a singing bowl, like it was like resonant and people were like, did you just bring out a singing bowl? And I'm like, no, I just... It just happened, you know, so it's kind of this thing that's been like involuntarily sort of happening. And so I'm still 
really trying to come to terms with like where that comes from, you know, what its potential is. But people have expressed to me that they see colors, they feel physical sensations. Um, it really kind of like elevates the healing. And so I recently, you know, as you saw on my page, decided to add it because it is something that I actually feel is one of the core elements of my healing work that is looking to be like developed and explored but it's still relatively new so it's exciting it's it's actually reminding me a lot of how you start your shamanic journeys yes with sing make noise sing your heart song yes i was actually <laughs> i was actually gonna bring that up um i'm finding this very fascinating because as becca mentioned i always start my shamanic journeys uh, having people sing their soul song and that's something that people sort of really freeze up about but that's something that I learned about from Nan Moss. She's part of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies that was founded by Michael Harner. And, you know, she tells a story of, you know, a shamanic teacher that she had. And she would say that if you went to a shaman, you know, in the days of old and, you know, you were ailing, one of the things that you would be asked is, when did you stop singing? Because singing is one of the sort of purest expressions of the soul and when we are restricting our voices and not allowing ourselves to do that, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because it's a source of healing and a source of power. Mm. And, you know, she also said, and this is something that really stuck with me, that idea that humans are sort of the only element of nature that apologize for a voice because animals don't apologize for having a voice. Nature doesn't, you know, like the wind blows, winds, you know, it rustles the leaves, you know, animals do what they do. And but humans are afraid to have a voice mm -hmm. and we sort of choke back the things that we really want to express. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the soul song is a way to really tap into your power and really step into that. And it's honestly one of my favorite things to do with people. And, you know, what the soul song is, it's basically just whatever song sort of comes naturally to you in that moment that expresses who you are in that moment. So it's not something that necessarily has words. It's not necessarily the same thing every time, but it's just sound that comes from within. And that just is, this is who I am right now. And if you sort of let yourself just do that, it really does start to change your vibration. And so when we're doing that as a group, you know, before Shamanic Journey, everyone is singing their song and I'm drumming and I just say, you know, like, this isn't about sounding good. I can't carry a tune. I, I'm not tone deaf, so I can hear how bad I am. It's honestly kind of <laughs> I torturous. I have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I always tell people, like, this is not about sounding beautiful. It's about making a true sound. And so mm -hmm. everyone kind of gets into it and you close your eyes and you start moving to it and you can feel the energy in the room shift. Wow. Like at the end of it, for me, like my head is buzzing because I feel like you've, you know, sort of created energy and it signals, you know, to your helping spirits that you're about to do spiritual work and it helps you tap into your power. And so I think it makes absolute sense that you're having that reaction to sound and music and feeling the impulse to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm curious to see kind of how that evolves for you. <laughs> I am too, especially since I went to this amazing ancestral healing weekend in Portland, Oregon through um, the Ancestral Medicine Group, which is uh, was started by Daniel Four. Um, and it's really about sort of diving into a specific line in your ancestry and, and healing it, you know, all the way back. So there's kind of this unbroken line of health and blessings that come through and I was working with my father's mother's line 
And in the journeys we were doing, I kept seeing them as these amazing, like, mountain shamanists, you know, from, I don't know where they were from, from, like, the Carpathian Mountains or Tuva or something um, in that region of Russia. And they were singing. I mean, they were, like, on the top of mountains, just singing as loud as they can, and energy was going through their voice into the earth. Like they were doing earth healing with their voice and they were revered as being powerful. And it was just a really profound vision to have because I was thinking to myself, wow, this is a legacy of sound healing, not just for people, but for the earth that I actually can step into as like my literal birthright you know, something that my ancestors were doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of taken things up a notch where I feel like I not only am, like, interested in this, I feel like it's kind of my, like, destiny or mission to step into this as something that I um, offer. I think that sound, the importance of sound, and, you know, sounds that we make, you know, with our mouths, I know that sounds weird, but uh, the importance of that has really been downplayed, I feel like, in more contemporary magic practices. But if, if you look at... You know, older traditions, if you look at Kabbalah, right, Kabbalah it has a core belief that words shape and create reality. Mm. And so, right, they always say that you should be careful what you say out loud because you're creating intention, right? You're molding reality. And so how is singing not just sort of a more intensified form of that? Yes. So I think it just makes sense that to, to think of music as something that can, you know, help shape reality and yeah. Heal and transform. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned the Kabbalah. I actually have my Kabbalah book on the floor right here. Um, I'm taking a class in ceremonial magic right now, and I've I took one cl- lesson. It's a six lesson course. Anyway, the second one is coming up this week. But one of the things that the teacher said in the first class is, yes, you need to learn how to pronounce the Hebrew. It's not about the Hebrew as from the Jewish tradition, it's the word, the sounds have power. They're, they've been passed down for, you know, millennia in this particular order. You need to learn how to say them this way. And, I mean, there's a lot can be said about, like, you know, how much has Western ceremonial magic stolen from the Jewish tradition, and is that appropriation and is it appropriate, which I'm not going to get into right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but the, that idea, like you said, from the Kabbalah, of, you know, the, the, the sounds have purpose, and it's very much like, you know, the, the, the names of the Sephiroth, the, you know, the, the specific words that you say for different things, that they, those sounds. And a lot of uh, ancient spells that we have, like from the Greek magical papyri, which I've mentioned before, there are words that are referred to as the barbarous words, or they're sometimes referred to as voke magicae, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing the Latin correctly there. But basically, they're called barbarous words because even when these things were written down in Greek hundreds, thousand years ago, no one was entirely sure what these sounds were from. They're sort of like words. Some of them can be translated, but some of them are like, maybe it's from Etruscan? We don't really know. We, you know, it's maybe it's from like, you know, Linear A, which has never been translated. But they're just these selections of syllables and vowels and the spell work says say these things together. I don't I haven't really practiced a lot of that magic, but I've I've read about it. 
And I keep thinking like, oh, I want to practice that. And I keep pulling myself back for some reason. But I know that for people who do practice that, that those saying those words and like figuring out what pronunciation to use is, you know, is very important. So it's kind of a sidetrack, but but it no, is also I, singing in words that you don't understand. Right. So well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm of Jewish descent, mm-hmm. and the line I was working with in my ancestral healing uh, was of Jewish descent, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm really interested in how my ancestors, not even just of Jewish descent, but of pre-Jewish descent, mm-hmm. are I can feel them influencing me when I'm singing, and oftentimes I'll sing, like you mentioned, words, quote or sort of sounds that are just, I don't even know what language they're from. They almost sound just very early, like before language might have even been formed, you know, just like basic syllables. Um, And I just am really working on, as you mentioned, Anna, just really trusting it as a soul song, not censoring it, not analyzing what the words might mean just allowing it to come through and trusting that it's a hundred percent correct whatever comes through I don't have to wonder if it's Mm -hmm. wrong or if it sounds bad or whatever it just is what it is Becca you're kind of going through a process like that too we discussed this actually in the last episode that you received these syllables Mm -hmm. from Zeus I think it was and that you're just sort of working with them and trying to understand what they mean. But so, you know, there's this theme yeah. or sound and syllable and word, and that's a way that, you know, humans construct reality, and it's really important. Yes. And I'm also yeah. interested in how sound and vibration, you know, because I do work with vibrational healing, how the resonance of certain tones and sounds can actually impact us on a very profound cellular, genetic, DNA type of level. And... I'm just really interested in deepening my understanding of that, you know, how certain vibrational tones can impact different body systems, different energy centers. Cat purring can heal. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's really powerful, and I'm I'm excited to continue my learning. I feel like I have memories of things circling the internet about, you know, ice crystals that are made when there's, like, heavy metal playing versus soothing music and how it crystallizes different. And so that's a way to really see how sound actually creates a little vibration. I mean, it's something that we should obviously know because if a really loud sound happens, you can feel it vibrating in mm-hmm. you know, the chair that you're sitting in. You can feel it in the ground. And so sound really does impact matter. It does. Mm-hmm. You know, and by, you know, I say matter is in like physical right. world. So I think that's really interesting. And honestly, you know, the high priestess that I've been, Gwenda, that I've been working with for you know, half my life, to her, singing and sound is an absolutely crucial part of ritual. She will not, you know, cast a circle and have a, a ritual without there being singing. And I, you know, a challenge for me is always trying to figure out how to get people who are participating in ritual circles to be willing to sing. Because, you know, even when I'm doing the soul songs and I'm explaining to people, like, it's okay, like, just try it. It's really powerful what you can see. Like, people's faces just kind of blanch when you say, I want you to sing. Like, there's something that people are so afraid of. And that's really telling as a society that we've created a sort of culture of fear around singing when singing is such a powerful instrument. And so I just sort of wonder how we can encourage, you know, budding magical practitioners to be more willing to try that. I think a lot of it is doing things with other people who are also doing it. 
and not saying, you've never done it before, now's your solo, but, you know, like you do with the group with the soul song, like, and, you know, I've, I've been to your, your workshops, you turn the lights off, like, no one has to see you sing. It's true, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, part of it is to, you know, to, to do it as a group experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think, you know, we've talked about this in the past, that, that self-blocking feeling of, is this dumb that's going to affect all of your magical practice, whether it's like, should I really be singing right now? Or should I be doing movement during my you know, like spell work or like magical practice? Uh, I think I've talked about that before. Like when I do spell work and I do weird interpretive dances, it works much better. But, you know. <laughs> See, but even you have the impulse to call it weird. Right? Yeah, I do. Like we uh, yeah. feel that need to explain like, I know it's awkward and weird, but do it anyway. And, yeah. you know, and how do we kind of get past I, that yeah i just uh, practice and like yeah I'm, I'm not sure kate i think that you need yeah. to start sacred singing groups in addition to your psychic support group. i was just thinking that actually <laughs> i think that's really exciting and the what i was thinking of in that is having it be in the context of it being of service because in my experience the plants and the forests and the oceans and the rivers and the waterfalls and all of the earth elements, they are starving for song. They are, like, when I go out there and I sing to the water, it's like I can feel the water be ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Like, just be like, oh my gosh, I haven't been sung to in years, you know, and and or trees, I'll go to trees and I'll put my hand on a tree and I'll sing to the tree, just like very soulfully sing to the tree, like as an offering, not just I'm singing and it's fun, but like this is an offering to you. This is a song for you. Well, it is. It's an energy exchange. Yeah. It's a way to offer your energy. Yeah. And I feel that humans for the whole time there have been humans and relationships with trees and plants and water People have been singing to these elements, and it's something that is a huge part of their relationship, and I feel like that's why they feel starving for it and are so happy. You know, when I make my essences, when I garden or do anything with plants, I sing always, and it makes everything happier. It makes everyone happier. And so I would, I would be really interested in, instead of like sitting in a room with people just kind of singing for ourselves, like going out to like a private place on the water and like singing, you know, we're going to sing to the whales today. You know, the whales sing all the time. They want us to sing to them and like see how people... Do a monthly singing group at Winter Island. Everyone just gather on the beach and sing. Yeah, Wouldn't that be amazing? It would. And I think it would be less pressure because... It's like you're singing out to this, like, beyond place as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, in a circle to each other. Because I think mm-hmm. people are not self-conscious about, like, what the ocean thinks as opposed to what, like, all these people. You know, we could even spread out on the beach so no one would be able to hear you or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Could. So, actually, this might answer part of my question I wanted to ask, but... Um, you started off saying that you haven't been in Salem long, but you felt very, you know, welcomed into the community. So I guess this is a, a two-part. What is your favorite thing about being here in Salem? And what is something that you wish Salem had that it doesn't currently have? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, what we were discussing 
is a partial answer to my to your question about you know the ocean is is probably my favorite. I love being near the ocean. I do too. Um, also, you know, I've never lived anywhere where I felt like I had a really strong community of like-minded people, of people who are doing similar things as me, who really accept me for who I am, but also a place where I can really practice my work and be able to have people who appreciate it and want to be a part of it and so that's something that Salem is like very unique in in offering for me the thing that I really wish Salem had more of is like explicitly queer spaces I find it really distressing that we don't have like a queer bar you know or like a place that's like I mean there are some community centers and things but kind of like more like cultural um, social spaces. There is a dance party that just started, but it's like... Photo? Yeah. I went to that. That was awesome. It was? That's yes. good. That's good. So so things are changing, so that's good, but... Are you familiar... Do you know Saul, who works at Ar- Artemisia? Yeah. So they host a queer herbalism group once a month. Yeah, we were doing that together. I mean, oh. I wasn't hosting it, but I was going, but um, yeah, we've been talking about ways to kind of, you know, planned to get there and you know life gets in the way yeah yeah I think that that's really important I mean house witch is such an amazing hub for the queer community but you know I really miss you know going to like awesome queer dance parties or like social places um you know we have rainbow crosswalks but there's not a lot of like intentional spaces that are like designated for queer folks so that's something that I like to see more of there are more, but I don't want to focus on the negative. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great place. It is yeah. a great place. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting because you said that, you know, you haven't been here that long and you felt like it was sort of easy to find community. Mm-hmm. And I'm really delighted to hear that, but it's different from what I hear from a lot of people. What we've heard from a lot of people is that you get here and then you have a hard time finding a group because everyone's maybe a little private or and, you know, there's not like a ton of public rituals, which is a thing that Becca and I have been asked about a bunch of times that we're sort of thinking about in the background. But so how did you sort of find your community and what advice might you have for people who come to Salem and are struggling with that? I mean, I was really lucky because I just literally like wandered into Housewitch on Halloween of 2017, like dressed like Miss Frizzle and just was like, oh my gosh, I really want to be a part of this place. And then it kind of happened. You know, like I just was, you know, hired at Housewitch. I was teaching at Housewitch. And Housewitch is such a vibrant community of witches and people come in there all the time and circle in and come to classes. And so I really kind of was able to find my community through them. So I think... I'll just plug Housewitch, you know, we are a community that really wants to do public ritual. We actually do public ritual um, with our moon circles and also um, we do like social justice based ritual where we'll, you know, do a fundraiser for, you know, an abortion clinic that may be in trouble financially or, you know, any kind of community organization and, have an education session, but we'll also do a ritual, right? We'll do a spell. Um, and people are always welcome to come to that. 
So I think just like attending, you know, groups and events like your shamanic journeys, Anna, mm-hmm. um, you know, just going to the, there's so many amazing events and amazing places to meet people. I think that just taking advantage of that and just putting yourself out there, even if it's scary and, you know, even like volunteering for things too, you know, volunteering to, you know, canvas for a local politician you believe in or, you know, getting involved with some group or organization is also a great way to meet like-minded people. Yeah. I've definitely met people around town by volunteering, like uh, Lauren, who we've had on before. She and I met because we were volunteering at one of the um, the Daughters of Darkness um, vending nights that are run by the people who own Die With Your Boots On and Fun Dead Productions, and, you know, we were doing the door. It was at at the Witch House, and they had all these, it was Daughters of Darkness. It's a very gothy vending night, which all of the vendors are women or Mm female-identified. Lauren was doing the front door, and I was doing the back door, and the Witch House is very small and is very old, and you can only have, like, 60 people inside at a time. So every time someone would leave out the back door, I would be on the walkie-talkie saying, two people just left, and so she would let two people in the front door. And that's how I became friends with Lauren. Yeah. (laughs) So volunteering at really random things can bring a lot of interesting people into your life. Totally. Right? So you don't necessarily have to go to a (laughs) witch-specific event to meet other witches. Right. That is one of the beautiful things about Salem. Well, Kate, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Can you tell people where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, I have a website. It's laureltreehealingarts.com. You can find me on Instagram, laureltreehealingarts. And those are my main platforms. And you mentioned House Witch. That's where you read tarot cards, correct? Yes. So you can find me uh, every Saturday for Psychic Saturday. I do tarot card readings there. I also teach classes there, and I work there, um, you know, one or two days a week. So you can find me working in the shop. Mm-hmm. And for folks who want to buy your essences, where can they find them? You can find them at House Witch on the House Witch website, or you can buy them uh, in my shop online, uh, laureltreehealingarts.com slash shop. And I do healing sessions and readings and different things through the House Witch Healing Space. Yeah, and you, you so, offer Reiki as well. As a yeah, I offer Reiki. I offer custom potion blends, you know, flower and crystal essences if people are interested in that. And that's through the House Witch Healing Space. And you can find the link to book in my website or you can go through the House Witch website too. And I just want to point out for people who maybe familiar with the general idea, but the House Witch Healing Space is not in the House Witch store. It's actually on Front Street. Right. It's on Front Street. It's a separate little space. We call it like the House Witch bedroom. Um, it's really cute. Uh, it's it's in, you know, a general office building, but it almost feels like Harry Potter, you know, like it looks like an old shoe, but it's actually like a beautiful little, um, you know, palace on the inside. So it's a really special spot and we love it and we love having folks there. And, um, oh, I also just started a uh, Thrifty Thursday special where the last Thursday of every month I have, like, half-off Reiki and readings. So you can also find that on my website if um, you want to try magical healing, but funds are short. You can take advantage of that. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Uh, Before we wrap up, I have a question from one of our listeners 
um, who wanted to know about Celtic shamanism resources. I guess I mentioned Celtic shamanism at some point in an episode. And so for anyone who wants to learn more about Celtic shamanism, the person that I would recommend as a resource is Andrew Steed. He's an indigenous shamanic practitioner in the UK, and he teaches workshops and has a lot of excellent books. So I definitely recommend checking him out. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. As usual, if you have questions for us, send us an email at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. We mentioned last time that we have t-shirts and mugs, so take a look at them. That way you can proudly sport one of my witch house drawings. And you can follow us on Instagram at witchcitywitches. And thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, everybody.